Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way. This is our Southridge member podcast, helping all of us uh, get the inside scoops on life in our church. And uh, we're now a couple months into this kind of continued, for now anyways, new normal of podcasts that are really kind of digging into and focusing on how we're responding to the COVID-19 crisis uh, around our church. So uh, again, this is a modified format. Uh, we got two of us working remotely from our homes uh, as opposed to being face-to-face, but it's great to be able to try to leverage technology in this way. And uh, I'm happy to have Keith Kyer with us today. So Keith, say hi to everybody. Hello, everybody. And uh, just give us a bit of the rundown on what the whole working from home in COVID and everything looks like in your world. Sure thing. So I thought working from home was going to be really difficult. You know, I compartmentalize these things uh, very intentionally, home life and work life. And so I thought having them both in one place was going to be difficult, but it's actually been quite peaceful and beautiful. And I've enjoyed the small interruptions throughout the day, you know, when the kids come in to bring me a drink or whatever. Um, But it's been great working in my bedroom, which is comfortable. And I haven't fallen asleep yet during work. So it's actually working well. Uh, and then, you know, there's just the getting in the rhythm. Uh, I feel like me and my family have gotten into a good rhythm. We're staying, trying to stay creative with the kids and keep them busy. But uh, yeah, it's been good. And that's, I mean, Keith, that's great to hear because as I talk with people, it feels like you're you're actually navigating two of the real big challenges uh, kind of at the same time. One is when a family has young kids, yeah. it's tough to work from home, period. Yeah. The other is when you're not kind of hooked up or equipped with a separate workspace. Right. And you've never really imagined having to work from home in an extended way. And so, you know, like a lot of people, actually, you're pulling the hide in my bedroom stunt uh, to try to incubate yourself from your your kids. But uh you're managing so far, at least a couple months in, to, to make that work. Because I know yeah. one of those challenges is often uh, very difficult for someone, never mind both of them kind of heaped on, on top of each other. So way to go. Thanks. Um, Want to get a little bit of your take just on, if you can think back this far, mm-hmm. how you were initially processing things. I know we're over two months into this now, mm-hmm. uh, but it was kind of right before March break when our world felt like it was just about to like rapidly and drastically change. Mm -hmm. Can you remember back then what was going on in your world and what it felt like? Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't watch a lot of news. And so a lot of what I hear is like word of mouth. But uh, for me, I noticed things were starting to really rapidly change and that this was going to be much bigger when all the social things started to come to a halt. Like, Sunday morning gatherings, you know, me and my buddies would hang out in a hot tub on Friday nights. And I haven't seen these guys in eight weeks and uh, Lily's school stopping. It's like those were kind of the big indicators that this was going to be big. And I felt a bit of disbelief. And I guess I was just naive to how much this would impact us individually and our world. But there was never like a sense of fear or anxiety around any of it for me. Hmm. When you when you first started to to see okay like in like forty eight hours every large group event and gathering yeah. is kind of being immediately canceled uh, and and like you say even if we were naive 
it starts to kind of waterfall on you and you, yeah. you realize this is way bigger than I anticipated. Um, what were some of your kind of initial feelings? Just a disbelief. Like, is this actually happening? Hmm. You know, what does this mean for us? Like, am I going to have a job? That was a question. Like, I don't know how this is, you know, I was always kind of confident that our church would take care of us, but I still didn't know what that would look like. And so it was just a lot of disbelief, uncertainty, and uh, not really knowing what the future had. Hmm. Um, in, in those, that, you know, that kind of swirling emotion, uh, talk about the initial, just the preliminary difference that faith made. How did, how did from a faith perspective, that mm-hmm. contribute to your default response? Well, for me, this was kind of like go time when it comes to faith and being the church. Like this is where the body of Christ comes to life. Um, I guess it comes from me growing up in a home church and the people that I went to Sunday morning service with were the people I ate three meals a day with, the people that took me to the hospital, the people that celebrated birthdays and holidays with. And so when I think church, I think family and shared life. And, you know, what happens on Sunday is just an hour out of the church's 168 hours that we have a week. And so for me, when you strip away these things that we normally might cling to to say we've done our duty as Christ followers, I think that's when the church really has this potential to show up and to shine and to be there and lean in and serve one another. And so there was never a moment where I wasn't confident that this was all going to be okay, that Mm. we were going to see this through with each other. And that community would always be there. I wonder, that that's well articulated. And I wonder whether that's kind of part of the common bias of our church leadership without having really kind of consulted with each other. All of us mm-hmm. are reacting to this personally. And mm-hmm. I'm actually out of the country as I'm reacting to this right. personally in dialogue with, with some of our senior leader teammates. But there seemed to be this bias that we expect the church of Jesus Christ to rise and shine like never before. Exactly. That was, that was kind of our expectation. And, and what I wonder is whether that common, that common philosophy that church is actually a way of life of full devotion, not an hour a week or event actually feeds into that default. Right. Because if it's just a gathering and society is dictating or the government's instituting, or it's just flat out unhealthy, together well then we're kind of done and the door's closed right but you know if you have a 24 7 view of what the incarnational life and love of jesus christ is to be and do in community together right um church is 168 hours a week yeah it's it's a bit more game on in crisis than right than time off. So exactly, exactly. That's it. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you hear you process that because I know so many of us, without even really having a lot of meetings together, uh, we're personally processing it very similarly. So yeah. kind of a cool commonality in our in our leadership culture. For sure. Um I know that as the 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 talks among leaders uh were beginning then. Uh, we were navigating this by leveraging technology, you know, WhatsApps and, you know, iMessages and group yeah. chats and things. Um, in, in your world, in family ministry, can you talk about some of the early values that emerged 
as we wanted to see Southridge move forward in this? Yeah, so relationship has always been the core of everything we've done. And so we knew it was going to be like connection. We need to make sure that connection and community is strong. And also right off the bat, uh, communication was simple, frequent, relational. And like, let's drill this into our heads. Uh, We didn't want to overcomplicate or slow down on the connection piece, but we want to create an accessible way for everyone to still feel connected to their community, their friends, their students, their small group leaders, et cetera. Yeah. So of our, of our kind of three-dimensional lifestyle, that connection value became your anchor. And, and frankly, I know that in, in the past, uh, we had actually, before we had a family ministry department, we had our kids ministry and our youth ministry as part of different departments for that reason. Wow. Yeah. Because our kids ministry was, you know, still, it was pretty centric as a, as a Sunday program. Um, But our youth ministry was pretty much anchored in its life groups and community formation. And so it was actually for a while, a part of our connection department. So it's, it's not surprising that you would, you would kind of lean in that way Mm -hmm. right from the get go. Mm -hmm. Um, What would you say in those early days was, was your initial goal or even your department's kind of initial goal uh, as the crisis unfolded? Oh, yeah. For, for our department, it was finding out what are the needs of parents and students? Uh, how do we find these things out without simply guessing or prescribing needs? How do we connect kids and students to their small group leaders so that they aren't feeling disconnected or forgotten? Uh, What does the online engagement for students look like? How do we do this responsibly and appropriately? And for me, it was just like, all right, this is where we're going to find out. Like, if this is just a youth group about, you know, tradition and keeping kids off the streets, or if this is really about life on life discipleship. And so just keeping that relationship piece in front and uh, keeping that connection strong was. Mm, Yeah, and really doing whatever it takes. Exactly. To, yeah. to retain those relationships where life transformation can happen. Right. Um, I know that, uh, you know, in this, in, in this season of transition, we call it now pivoting, that's the buzzword, mm-hmm. um, as, as departments were pivoting, everyone had to, had to make different shifts and face different challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, if you were in our weekend service inspiration department, you know, there, there was different challenges than if you were in our anchor causes in our action department. Right. For you in family ministry or, or maybe particularly in student ministry, what would you say were some of the greatest challenges that you felt you were facing at the get-go? Uh, it, it's just finding out what that, what that need is. And like, it takes so much communication and keeping leaders motivated to, you know, I remember saying right off the bat, like, guys, this is not a time where we lean back and put our feet up. Like, this is time where we lean in and we connect like never before. And so just trying to keep that vision strong and and finding out, okay, let's let's dive into connection and find out what it is that our students need and provide that need and and just yeah, keep that connection strong. Um Yeah, it's amazing without and we've we've seen this kind of commonly, like we're able to foster this lifestyle of full devotion typically through our primary programs, our primary programs express and stimulate is the language we use Mm -hmm. express and stimulate this lifestyle of full devotion without the programs though, we've had to figure out how to pole vault over the program and 
tap into really not even people, plural, but individuals directly Yes, to find out how we can stimulate your lifestyle of full devotion personally in the context of this crisis. And so there's just a massive amount of individualization and customization yes. now in the, in the discipleship challenge um, on top of the burden that you don't have the proximity to each other or the convenience of proximity yeah. that you, that you used to. So kind of a double-edged sword in that sense, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's helped that kind of the culture of our youth ministry right from the beginning, beginning has been, that you know, we want to see students as individuals. And so we're kind of just magnifying that on like, okay, now we really need to be focusing on like, how is every individual student hmm. doing in this time? Well, I was going to ask, like, obviously our church and our student ministry operates uniquely. Mm-hmm. Just different, not not even better or best or whatever, but just just different than than uh, other churches approach approach ministry. When you consider some of the uniquenesses or the the values of our church and and particularly in student ministry, do you feel like that made it harder or easier in a in a time like this? It's a great question, and it's hard to it's sometimes hard to say because it's hard to measure relationship and relational equity it's easy to measure attendance and so if our win was as many students as possible on a zoom event on a thursday night then it would be so easy to say um that we're either winning at this or this has been a big challenge but uh in the uniqueness of how we do youth ministry it's more of like how are you doing with your students how are you connecting them how is ongoing discipleship doing how is the journey of, you know, shared life going. And so it's a slower process. It's harder to define wins and, and, uh, you know, how exactly well that's going. And so it takes a lot of, like you said, one-on-one conversations and it doubles the hard factor when you've got small group leaders who are navigating their own home life with their own children and their own jobs that lots of them are still working. And, uh, and so it's it, that has been a difficult piece of like mm. measuring that success. But those are those are great points. I mean, to your to your first point of measuring success, uh, that you know, very astute. And I hope people who are listening in can appreciate that. That when we're trying to foster a lifestyle of full devotion, and that's unique and personal to to each individual, mm-hmm. uh, how effective we are is a very different thing to measure than butts and seats, right? Or people in a program. Yeah. The other thing you're observing, though, is, and, and we found this over the years at different times, where it's actually very difficult to have individual leaders shepherding people through change when they themselves need shepherding through a change. Right. And so I, I, I feel your pain when, mm. you know, the whole thing is relationally based and you've got this system of support and kind of this kind of an org chart of, of leadership structure, but everyone in this leadership structure is struggling and they're facing their own anxieties and right. their own uncertainties and, you know, their own mental health challenges, their own yeah. faith issues. And so you're kind of shepherding two layers at once as right. the, as the point leader in that student ministry, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. But I think that's just a part of doing life together. Like, 
you know, mental health and these scary things that we are all dealing with shouldn't scare us from leading one another or being led. Like that's just a part of what it means to do life together. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Hey, uh, give us a bit of an update, starting with these, I won't even call them programs, but these, Mm -hmm. these areas of ministry, um, part of me assumes that, uh, you have some advantage in student ministry, given that they're probably the most tech savvy audience in our whole community, better than those of us, uh, you know, as adults trying to navigate digital platforms and probably better than little kids. Uh, so talk a little bit about how Riot and Current are going these days. Sure. You would definitely think it would be easier, um, but there's still the odd ghosting challenge and trying to get students on Zoom. Um, but for the most part, it's going really well. Like playing video games online with students. Like I've been, you know, I have a PlayStation 4 and I'm on there every week with different students playing something. And uh, Riot on Zoom, the first night we ever met, we had allotted an hour to be on there because I had no idea how this was going to go. And we didn't log off until after 9.30. And since then, like we started at 7, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We didn't log off till 9.30. So that was an hour and a half over the time that I had given. And since then, consistently, we have not exited Zoom, the last small group, until 10 o'clock, sometimes quarter after. Wow. And so for Riot, you're doing a whole Riot Zoom yeah. kind of large group start that then breaks out almost like yes. our almost like our uh, Zoom virtual lobby. Exactly. Uh, but then yeah. breaks out into breakout rooms uh, that are small group specific. Exactly. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And is that the same as current or different? Uh, current is a little bit different where Riot, we were doing biweekly and we've moved to weekly. Uh, so that's been a big adjustment. Um, current, we're still doing bi-weekly, but in between those weeks, the small groups, they're, they get to do whatever they want, right? So it leaves right. some space for small group leaders to still be creative with their own few and connect with them on a personal level there. Right. So every other week, current gathers as a large group, breaks into small groups by Zoom. Correct. And then they connect in different ways as small groups uh, in the time in between. Riot now has shifted, and that's encouraging that it shifted to every week because right. of the need and the hunger to stay connected. Exactly. And uh, starts as a large group and then divides up into a, into a small group. Yep. And it's been so much fun. What, uh, what are you hearing about how that's working from your life group leaders? They're loving it. Like the response from my small group leaders has been amazing for the most part. Um, I've seen some people, some of my small group leaders like really rise up and lean in like never before and come up with creative ways to connect consistently. I'm getting messages from Carly Wall, Emily Schroeder to book my Zoom account for small group nights with their few. Uh, Rehema Butanga, you know, she's coming up up with ideas for a year-end party for our students to honor the graduates and just end the year fun. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Jesse Clausen talking about possibly a weekend camp out if possible, um, just because some of these students might be, you know, not, not going to camp. Yeah. Um, that one's a bit on the DL, so don't yeah. tell anybody. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the response has been incredible. Leaders have really risen up and they're encouraged by the engagement of their students. 
Um, and at the same time, you know, just like me and everybody else, we're struggling to stay motivated at times. We're tired. And yes, in ways our lives have slowed down, but in other ways they've sped up. And so I hear them in that, and that's hard. Doesn't help that it's been minus 100 for most of May. Jeez. Oh, so, yeah, us. Anyways, yeah, we're getting there. Hey, um, talk about the students themselves. Um, mm-hmm. You know, now that we're a couple months into this, how are you finding students are responding? Where are they at? Yeah, so it really depends on the student. Some students are trying to really stay engaged in the large group activities. And then there's students who do engage in that still, but maybe for only half the time, just because Zoom is so exhausting. And it like Zoom creates a lot of different pressures for people who join the chat. And so it's not always the best platform for engagement. Um, But also students are still busy. Like they have online school and homework, which can come in pretty sporadically, randomly. And so by the time all that's done, they might be sick of a screen or they want to get on a screen where they don't need to think and can just, you know, go play some Fortnite or something. Um, and some students are struggling more than others, either with mental health or the social piece. But everyone is doing their best. And some students are loving the big group stuff. Some students engage more in the one-on-one conversations with their leaders, some more with the small group aspects. So it really depends on the student. But all this feedback here is from like individual students who we've talked yeah. to. And yeah. Are are you noticing any common themes or trends when it comes to how a junior high or high school mm-hmm. student is just processing the pandemic? Mm-hmm. Are they generally loving it because they don't have to be at school? Are they generally anxious? Are they like mm-hmm. what are you noticing? Uh most students I've talked to, it sounds like they Oh, see, now when I start saying most students, there's going to be that student that's going to be like, I don't feel that way. But they're, they miss their social interactions, their sports, mm-hmm. of course, right? Like yeah. there's so much going on in their life before that came to a sudden halt. Um, but it seems like right now, you know, everyone is kind of just looking for distraction. So whether that's TikTok or a new hobby, you know, one student started watercolor painting, another student made a quilt. Uh, some students are gardening. There's lots of baking going around, lots of puzzles being done. I'm in a D&D campaign with a group of students right now, and that's amazing fun. Um, there is real-time grieving, two of the things that students were looking forward to. Uh, things like the grade 12 trip to New York that's not happening, their grad trip, their proms, uh, the possibility of their last summers at Crossroads or their LIT year, you know, maybe not happening. Like when all of this started, they were kind of in this limbo stage where they didn't know anything. They didn't really have anything to work towards or know how long this was going to last. And so to start anything felt futile or meaningless. And some people are trying to keep routine, whether it's exercise, meal planning. I know one student even took Instagram off his phone so he could focus on volleyball. But emotionally, the students, they seem like they're doing well, like they're combating boredom a lot. Uh, It was hard at first being out of routine, but families have really started to settle into a new rhythm. It's interesting. uh, You're the amount you're referring just to the grief. I mean, I can get students miss their friends. They're highly relational, et cetera. But uh, 
you know, for those of us listening, when we think about it, as a grown up, your life becomes pretty sort of fixed. So to take six months off your regular routine, you're pretty much going to resume that same routine six months later. And I'm I'm not suggesting that things won't be different in a new normal post COVID or, but, but you get my point that you kind of, you take a break and then you resume because life's kind of the same. Right. But everything changes so much for students that there is a sense as you were kind of walking through that laundry list of grief of, of things that kids were grieving Mm -hmm. where they only get one shot. Right. They only get one shot at their grad. They only get one shot at their LIT year. They only, and, and, and so there's so many one shot and then it's gone uh, opportunities for grief to emerge that, you know, maybe with that age, there's more grief than those of us as adults and parents are appreciating. Yeah. And this is not a small, like, Oh, poor students. Like this is devastating for some of our seniors grade 12 year. Yeah. Hey, uh, I know you'd alluded to this earlier that as a ministry, you know, one of our kind of founding values is not just ministering to kids and students, but actually partnering with parents Mm -hmm. to raise the next generation, appreciating that parents are actually, even statistically, uh, the primary influences in the lives of children and developing young adults, not people like you and me, (laughs) right? as much as we'd like to believe that. Yeah. as you, as a ministry, maybe as a family ministry as a whole, or particularly you, Keith, in student ministry, mm-hmm. uh, as you're connecting with and partnering with parents, what's the vibe there? How are parents responding? You know what? Re- parents are responding well. They're getting into a rhythm now, and life is moving on as normal as it can. Uh, they're having family dinners, game nights, and parents have been super intentional about checking in on their kids and providing safety and consistency for them. Some parents are really cherishing this time and they're actually more concerned about losing this level of intentionality or connection once life gets back to normal. Uh, There will be, you know, there will never be a time in our lives when students have this kind of free time, when they're not doing three different sports, two jobs, all these social obligations. So parents, I found, are really capitalizing on this and they know it's not going to last forever. But for the most part, they're actually responding really positively. Uh, same question I asked about the students, uh, knowing that every situation is unique. Mm-hmm. Are there any common themes or trends that you're noticing with how parents, or at least the parents of teenagers, mm. uh, are processing the, the pandemic? The parents with teenagers that are celebrating you know, all this time they have with their kids. Parents with young kids, they all have shaved heads. parents know their kids have so much to offer and that God is doing amazing things in them and so the parents of teens right now are in this prime place to tap into that and to help their kids discover those things and um, just really soak up this connection that they have and so parents are like really cherishing this time that they have Hmm, with their hmm. kids as we're listening Keith um how can those of us who aren't teenagers or don't have teenagers uh, pray for or support or help meet some of these needs that students and or parents might have in a, in a pandemic? How could we rally around you and your ministry? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, if you have any board games or new puzzles, send them to somebody with teenagers. 
we're running out, you know, not we, I don't have teenagers, but they're running out of games and puzzles to do. Um, but like I said, parents are doing well. And of course they need prayer. And I would say they need some pressure relieved. If anyone's interactions with a parent who has teens are making that parent feel like their kids are watching too much TV or that they're not being creative or productive enough, then stop. Like, just stop that. Um, we don't need any added, uh, sorry, I keep saying we, those parents don't need any added pressure. And I would say when it comes to students, like pick a student and pray for that student for a month. You know, think about that student and don't pray for them to be a certain way, but um, pray just for their own well-being and health and for them to live into who God has created them to be. And then once you've prayed for them for a while, like go and connect with that student because they'll blow your mind with their questions and their ideas and their passions. And honestly, I think they'll make you better people as you, you go and connect with them. Hmm. That's a great encouragement, especially in a season where we're trying to experiment with and focus on a practice based faith to a greater degree. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know in my own world, I've tried to make that a a more conscious discipline. Mm -hmm. I've got a half dozen or so of kind of closer to to my world, uh, frontline healthcare workers that I've now incorporated every day to pray for by name. Yeah. And, you know, just that everyday pray for by name rhythm, you know, after 30 or 60 days, it, it changes you. Absolutely. And it, it changes the way yes. that you relate to them. So yes, when it comes to, you know, people who are in touch with teenagers or parents of teenagers, uh, I know you don't say we, but I'll say we, cause I've got teenagers. Yes. We, we, we certainly appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. And if you're not in touch with a teenager or a parent with teenagers, start praying for somebody who you know has teenagers and get in touch with them. Yeah, exactly. Hey, uh, as we wrap up, any final thoughts or just encouragements or challenges to all of our members and listeners when it comes to supporting families, Mm. particularly in your world with students during this unprecedented time of crisis? Mm Mm-hmm. I'd say just keep checking in with each other. You know, even though nothing is changing in our day-to-day or weekly routines, uh, the way that our bodies and our minds respond to this repetitiveness, it does change. And so your friends and your neighbors and your parents with teens, like they need you to check in on them and to stay connected. That's a great observation. I know, you know, that internally we've described kind of these three phases, right? Right. Phase one, we're going to pivot. Phase two, we're going to figure out how to live in this pivot sustainably. And then phase three is kind of the longer term, long haul groove. What we got to realize is that in phase three, which is kind of where we're at now, pretty much since Mm -hmm. Easter, um, there are a lot of sub phases there, depending on how people's moods change and weather changes and your you know, tiredness with Zoom meetings changes and, you know, issues with your kids and whatever. So that this, this lengthy phase, whether it's to the end of June or till things open up more, we don't know. Um, right. It's, it's actually a series of unpredictable sub phases. And so I, I really appreciate that encouragement Keith, yeah. to, to stay connected, keep checking in yeah. and uh, allow our relationships with one another to be that glue. For sure. Well, if you ask a parent, you know, uh, how's your routine going? They'll tell you the same thing they said last week. But if you say like, how are you doing? Then they might tell you something different from last Mm -hmm. week. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, that's great. Keith, thanks so much for being with us. My pleasure. And uh, for sharing your experience and the experience of uh, some of our students and parents with the rest of us. Really appreciate that and uh, appreciate all of you checking in again this week. Uh, we'll see you in one week's time as we continue finding our way together. Take care, everyone.